Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world's bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the novel 1984. Probably, few of us are complete strangers to this book. When its author, George Orwell, wrote it in 1948, combining his sharp insights and the political background of that period, analyzing humanity's possible developmental trajectory. Orwell created a sketch of a future world in the year 1984. The novel describes a stifling world of authoritarian horror. Even now, those who read Orwell's book will still find this fictitious world terrifying and fear for the future of our actual world. In 1984, people are utterly deprived of freedom, humanity is poisoned by power. Even people's thoughts must be suppressed. People live in desperate poverty. They live in ignorance, like the walking dead. While Orwell's descriptions may seem extreme, if we pay close attention, we will find that his logic and reasoning are not arbitrary. He writes as if these events are actually happening in the real world. In other words, this future world is entirely plausible. And in fact, in the latter half of the 20th century, following Orwell's death, his insights in the novel have repeatedly proved to be prophetic. Therefore, 1984 is not just a timeless classic, it's also a warning to the future. The world that it portrays is a constant possibility hanging over us. It reminds us to guard against authoritarian political terror. And, where there is any indication that such a world could come into fruition, fight against it. During the Cold War, views of the book were polarized. In some parts of the world, there was a wave of enthusiasm for researching and promoting Orwell's writings. They served certain political demands due to the similarities between Orwell's descriptions and the reality in oppressive totalitarian regimes. Meanwhile, other countries banned 1984 from being published. During this period, many interpretations of 1984 began to stray from the author's original intentions. The novel became a casualty in the political crossfire. Such misinterpretations not only diminish the artistic value of this great work, but also obscure Orwell's earnest and urgent words of caution to the world. So today, let us take a careful look at what his novel is really trying to express. In this bookie, we will introduce the book 1984 in three parts. Part 1 summarizes the main plot of the novel and what the future world looks like under an authoritarian regime. Part 2 recounts Orwell's path to anti-authoritarianism and his specific message to the people of the world. Part 3 provides an in-depth analysis of the main events in the book, and explains why it is considered a creative masterpiece. In the year 1984, the world is divided into three superstates, Oceania, Eurasia, and East Asia. Our protagonist, Winston Smith, lives in Oceania, in the city of London. The country is ruled by the one and only political party known as English Socialism, or Ingsoc in the book's fictional language Newspeak. We will talk more about Newspeak later. The government of Oceania consists of four ministries. The Ministry of Truth is in charge of news, entertainment, education, and the arts. The Ministry of Peace is responsible for war. The Ministry of Love maintains law and order in the country, while the Ministry of Plenty controls the nation's economy. In Newspeak, they are known as Minitru, Minipax, Minilove, 
and Minnie Plenty, respectively. Winston Smith is a member of the Outer Party who works at the Ministry of Truth. His job is to rewrite historical records so that they conform to the currently accepted version of history. These corrections are not what we might imagine. For example, the Ministry of Plenty predicted the shoe production for the quarter would be 145 million pairs, but the actual output is only 62 million. The Ministry of Truth then has to recall all books, newspapers, periodicals, pamphlets, posters, flyers, films, videos, comics, and photographs and adjust the predicted figure to 57 million. Finally, the department destroys all the previous versions of these records, leaving only the corrected copies. In this way, the Ministry of Plenty can claim that it has successfully reached its target as usual. There will be documents to prove that every one of the party's predictions has come true. The Ministry of Truth never explicitly instructs Winston to fake any documents. Instead, it always makes reference to correcting slips, errors, misprints, or misquotations which it was necessary to put right in the interests of accuracy. However, Winston doesn't appear to consider his work as a form of counterfeiting. To him, it's simply replacing one lie with another, 62 million isn't necessarily closer to the truth than 57 million or 145 million. He thinks that it is entirely possible that no shoes were produced at all or that no one knows how many pairs were made, and no one cares. Every quarter, there are reports of astronomical shoe production, and yet half of the people in Oceania walk around barefoot. Over time, Winston's doubt grows. To his chagrin, however, he finds that his own memory is not so reliable either. He has no memories of past events, details from his childhood, the former state of the country, or even the exact year that he's living in. After all, there are no records that can support his memories. In addition, he has almost no way of communicating his thoughts to anyone else. Why does Winston have this difficulty sharing his ideas? His world is dominated by a special device called a telescreen. Not only does it have all the functions of a television, but it also gathers information about everyone in front of it. It can monitor eye movements, breathing rate, and heartbeat. Furthermore, you never know if someone is watching you on the other side, analyzing your psychological and mental state. Checking to see if you have committed a thought crime. If you show the slightest hint of disloyalty to the party, you will be sent to the Ministry of Love. Nobody knows what happens to people who end up there. But some who go there have disappeared. They have been erased from all records. No one ever mentions them again, as if they never existed. There are telescreens everywhere, even one in Winston's home. The screens watch each and every activity, spying on all party members. The screens are active at all hours, broadcasting fantastical production statistics, updates on the war with Eurasia, and also presenting the speeches by the most powerful leader of Oceania, Big Brother. Every day, it is required that people gather in front of the telescreens and participate in a two-minute hate to express their loathing for enemies of the state. One of these enemies is the anti-revolutionary Emmanuel Goldstein. The two minutes hate often sends people into a frenzy, jumping up and down and shouting at the top of their lungs. Winston maintains his cool at first. Thirty seconds into the session, he too is whipped up in the hysteria and starts to yell and kick his chair ferociously with his heel. 
Winston doesn't know how many of these people actually feel as angry as they seem. Certainly, he can't let his eyes or his voice reveal the slightest cause for suspicion. He's aware that the thought police are lurking all around. For instance, the dark-haired girl shouting, swine, swine, and hurling a dictionary at the telescreen could very well be a member of the thought police in disguise. At the peak of everyone's frantic expressions of hatred, Big Brother appears on the screen to offer his encouragement. His appearance is always followed by three slogans in large capital letters, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. The people begin to chant these phrases, and Winston follows suit. However, for a second or two, his gaze seems to betray his true feelings. At that moment, he makes eye contact with O'Brien, a member of the inner party. O'Brien's eyes seem to be saying, I know precisely what you are feeling. I know all about your contempt, your hatred, your disgust. But don't worry, I am on your side. But in the next instant, O'Brien resumes his usual composure, almost as if that fleeting impression was just an illusion. For a long time, the party has claimed that today's standard of living is much higher than in the past. However, living supplies seem to be dwindling day by day, and basic necessities are rationed by the government. Of course, this can't be proven. Winston is despondent, looking at his dilapidated furniture, drinking low-quality gin, eating bland stew, and smoking the occasional cigarette from his pitiable rations. An old memory seems to tell him that things weren't like this before. Of course, that, too, cannot be proven. Without evidence or reliable memories, what can he do? One night, Winston musters up the courage to seek out an old man. He is careful to avoid being seen by the telescreens. He asks the old man what life was like before the revolution. Unfortunately, the old man's memories are just like his own, fragmented and hazy. Disappointed, Winston wanders into a little junk shop. There he suddenly recalls that he once secretly bought a notebook in the shop. In it, he fanatically scribbled down with Big Brother over and over again. When he leaves the shop, he is horrified to discover that the dark-haired girl he saw throwing the dictionary at the two-minute hate is walking towards him. He is sure she must have been following him. She must be a member of the Thought Police. To his surprise, the next day, the dark-haired girl, whose name is Julia, slips him a note. The note says, I love you. She seems experienced in discreet love affairs with men. A reprobate, she has had many such liaisons and has slept with hundreds of different men. It turns out that Julia is against the party. She gives the impression of being skilled in disguise and able to evade the authorities, much more so than Winston. For a long time, as a form of silent protest against the party, she has been breaking the rules. Winston can hardly contain his arousal. He is excited by the fact that she has had sex hundreds or even thousands of times. He is eager to do anything that will cause disruption to the party, no matter how degenerate or corrupted. He meets Julia in secret and says to her, Listen. The more men you've had, the more I love you. Do you understand that? Later, he covertly rents the attic of the junk shop. Since there is no telescreen there, it becomes a private little paradise for his meetings with Julia. Just the two of them. However, under the eye of Big Brother, this kind of activity carries a huge risk. If they are ever found out, 
both of them will be disappeared. It will all be over. And sooner or later, they will surely be found by the thought police. Although both are well aware of the consequences, and neither of them is prepared to face death, their passion cannot be contained. Orwell writes, their embrace had been a battle, the climax of victory. It was a blow struck against the party. It was a political act. Gradually, they begin to make preparations to extend their political action. They have heard rumors that Goldstein leads an organization called the Brotherhood, engaged in covered anti-party activities. Having made eye contact with O'Brien during the session of Two Minutes Hate, Winston speculates that he too may be involved in this underground movement. Therefore, he and Julia decide to take the risk and arrange a meeting with O'Brien. Fortunately, O'Brien informs them that, indeed, he is a member of the Brotherhood. Winston and Julia thus become inducted into the organization. With O'Brien, they prepare to take part in a coordinated revolt against the party. O'Brien tells the couple to be prepared to die at any moment. It is the sixth day of hate week, and people are lining the streets, marching, rallying, shouting to express their hatred towards the enemies of the party. An inner party member is giving a speech in the public square. In a voice full of emotion and fury, he lists the many atrocities, massacres, and invasions carried out by Eurasia. His speech is interrupted. An abrupt announcement from the party makes a new claim. The perpetual ongoing war is with East Asia, and Eurasia is, in fact, an ally. Later, the orator resumes his speech with the same tone and attitude. Even the contents of his speech remain the same. The only thing that's changed is the name of its vindictive target. At that moment, the crowd suddenly becomes aware that all the banners and posters around the square are incorrect. This must be the work of Goldstein and his agents. There is a violent commotion as people rush to tear down the posters and banners and rip them to shreds. A few minutes later, they resume their roars of rage. Hatred continues, exactly as before. Meanwhile, O'Brien's agents send Winston a copy of the Book of Brotherhood. Winston can't find the time to read it. He is kept busy, occupied with his work, destroying and amending many political documents, now the enemy has become East Asia instead of Eurasia. After several days of intensive verification work, Winston finally finds an opportunity to read the book. Through it, Winston learns the true nature of this world and how it came to be the way it is. We will reveal this to you in detail later. It turns out that the junk shop's owner is a member of the Thought Police and has been secretly watching Winston for seven years. O'Brien is Thought Police too. Alarmingly, before Winston even finished reading the book, he and Julia are surrounded. Winston and Julia are taken to the Ministry of Love. Here, Winston endures many kinds of beatings and torture. He wishes for an end, to die. Beyond the physical pain, the most traumatic part is that he betrays Julia. He completely loses his personal will. O'Brien crushes his rationality and takes his dignity. At last, as the long-hoped-for bullet enters his brain, he realizes that O'Brien is victorious. Winston has been persuaded to love Big Brother. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.